If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. This passage follows the narrative that described how Jesus met the woman at the well at Sychar and spent two more days there. And we continue in verse 43. Read with me. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem and at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. While we're continuing our studies in the book of John, next week I'm going to go back and do a message on what is worship and uh, deal with the various concepts we have. I don't want to race by John 4.23 too quick. I want to come back and see what music has to do with worship, uh, what preaching has to do with it, uh, what you have to do with it. And so we're going to look at what worship is next week. But today, I want us to focus on a man's faith. I call it weak faith. And I don't know if that's fair to the nobleman. We might just call it faith in a strong and a sure God, faith. And I'm going to look at four aspects of his faith. First of all, his faith is born out of crises. And this is the thing that sets him up to come to Christ, crises in his life. The second thing about his faith is that uh, he became convinced once he heard the word of Christ. That's all he needed was a word from Christ, and it was convincing to him. He goes home to see the miracle in front of him, the boy's well, and so his faith was confirmed by the real evidence of what God did in the life of his son. And then I want us just to consider uh, how contagious can your faith be? It said that he and his whole 
household believed after this incident. And so I want us to consider this uh, great incident. Christ has just been in Samaria. And you could say, if we were writing it up today, they had a revival, at least in Sychar. The town was turned upside down by the testimony of the woman at the well. She came back, told about a man she met that knew everything about her life, called him a prophet, came to see he was the savior of the world, truly the Messiah, and she can't be quiet. She goes back to the town and tells them they come, many of them come out of the town. It says many came to Christ because they believed her testimony. Others got to Christ directly and they believed his word. So a whole region is turned upside down because Christ says, I can give you water you can't find in the well. I can give you something that's not in Jacob's well. And he just turns the place upside down. They beg him to stay two days, and he does. Now he crosses back over into his home country, and that's Judea, Galilee, Jerusalem vicinity. And they've already, many in Galilee have already heard him and seen him up at Jerusalem. And so they know he's a wonder worker. He's a miracle worker. And on one hand, they didn't welcome him as a person, but they welcomed what he could do. He was like a carnival act to them. Do a miracle. Show a display of power. Show off what you're able to do. And we all find the progression and how he deals with that. The first thing about this man's faith, this nobleman, who worked uh, most likely for Herod Antipas, who oversaw the Galilean region. And uh, Herod called himself a king, even though he was not the Caesar, so that we have this royal official works for a king. And uh, he comes about 20 miles from Capernaum, is, is north of Canaan, 20 miles down, either by foot or by some animal. And so it's going to be a 40-mile round trip for him to get to the miracle worker, get to the one whose reputation was, Joseph has got a carpenter's son in Canaan, but also maybe the reports from Jerusalem have came back, said he is a miracle worker. He wasn't in Samaria. He doesn't know about the water being turned to wine. Maybe he did. That was in Cana of Galilee, too. So that, the reputation has got ahead. But he's got a problem. He's got a boy that is on the brink of death. And a man of his standing, no doubt, could get to the best doctors of the day, could get to the best professional help of the day, but the boy is at the verge of dying, so the dad makes this risk. Even though the boy had a fever when he left, he said, I'll risk a trip 20 miles away to look up this miracle worker. He finds Christ, and Christ is beseeched by him, and he comes to him and he said, please come heal my son. He's at the point of death. And the first thing Christ does seems very rude, but it's a plural in the Greek. He's rebuking the Galilean mentality toward him. And he says, 
Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This is a rebuke. You Galileans want to see me because you want me to do something for you. You want the doctor to get you well, but you don't want to know the doctor. I've never gone to lunch with anyone that's ever been my doctor. I've never been in their home, and some of them, I thank God, I didn't have to get to know. I didn't go to them because I wanted to know them. I went to them because I wanted them to make me well. I wasn't trying to strike up a new friendship. I didn't care how obnoxious they could be if they had the skill to get me or my loved ones well. I was on a journey. And Christ, when he comes into Galilee, he on one hand says they welcomed him, but they only welcomed him if he would perform miracles and signs. They didn't want his person. They have not bought into the fact he's Messiah. They haven't bought into he's the son of God, but we would like to see you perform some more. And he rebukes their attitude. And in the midst of this rebuke, this nobleman, he, he's not from Galilee. He's up at Capernaum. He's not part of this crowd's mentality. He hasn't even been around. He said, I've come because I have a boy that's dying. That's what brings me. My needs bring me to you, Christ. Only you can fix the situation. I think this points to something that happens in our lives all the time. Crisis is the only way some people ever come to Christ. That uh, they've got a situation They've got a boy, they've got a girl, they've got a health problem, they've got a marriage problem, and they've tried everything, and they're going to finally give Jesus a try. And their problems and their pain have a way of bringing them to Christ. Now, God is not fooled for why you came. He didn't say, only the healthy can get to me. Only the people that just want me He'll accept you for coming because you're in pain. He uses that pain to get you to come. Did you know that crisis is often a gift from God to get you to come to the end of your resources and make you see, I need a great Savior. I've got to look up Jesus. If I don't get him on the case, there's nobody that can make this boy of mine stay alive. He's at wit's end. Lewis said it maybe the best in The Problem of Pain. Famous line that God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to our conscience, but he uses pain as a megaphone to speak to a deaf world. Pain is the only way he gets some people to ever come to him. And so he brings the pain to turn you around, and to bring you to himself. Think in your lives here, the pain God has used. I think of the Hylics, some friends of ours, that when we first met them, they had just lost a child that had been drowned. And in that pain, here he was, a preacher's boy. See a girl that grew up at Sherwood Forest, uh, got away from the Lord, 
and, and neither one of them living for the Lord. But God tracked them down. God used incredible pain. When you bury a child, God's shouting at you. I think of my own mother. She came to faith only after she saw her four-year-old boy run over in front of her. And after three months or so of getting over the nervous breakdown that ensued, then she went to a home Bible study on the block. And there she came to Christ. But it was in the midst of the grief of a young mother bearing a firstborn son. McGee tells a story of a man that grew up in uh, uh, West Texas, outside of Amarillo. And the guy was tough as a boot. He had no time for God, for religion. He had no use for it. His wife was a wonderful Christian woman. They had a beautiful daughter, but don't talk to him about God. He had, he had nothing to do with it. He was rough and tough. One day he was riding uh, around in his pickup and uh, doing his work, had the radio on, and over it came an announcement that there was a fire at the local school where his girl went to school. And uh, by the time he drove to that uh, grammar school and found out the devastation, he also found out that that darling little blonde-headed girl perished in the fire. The preacher dreaded, dreaded, dreaded having to visit that home. He knew he wasn't ever going to be welcomed by this dad. He had shunned him many times before. Don't bug me about church. Don't bug me about God. But of course, the wife went to that church, so the pastor makes the call. When he got to the home, the dad was in the parlor, sitting in a stupor, as it were, in deep grief. The pastor finally took a chair to sit down by him, and neither one talked. The pastor didn't want to dare say anything in such a tense uh, setting. So they sat there, they sat there, and finally the dad spoke up, and he said, Preacher, God has been after me for years and years and years, and I've told him no a thousand times. I never knew he wanted me so bad as to take the apple of my eye. I'm ready to come to him. I can't make it without him. There is something about faith being born in crises. What you do in your crises and who you go to reveals the most about you. I hear a man that when he got the word that 10 of his children died in one day, he said, let's have a worship meeting. None of this bargaining, God, you don't ever do that to me or I won't serve you. I know a man in this church, he said, I walked away from God because God didn't change my girl the way I prayed, so I walked away for 20 years and made a mess out of his life. God is not an errand boy to satisfy your every wondering desire. He's God. He doesn't have to do anything for you. I said he doesn't have to do anything. He owes none of us anything. He is God and never do anything for anybody. 
Don't boss this God. He's in charge. You should fear the Lord. Fear the Lord that his hand will not be against you or your family tree or whatever, your body, your children. But in crises, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Did you know what? God might use that child of yours to get your attention. I think a Lyle Bombardier had a girl breaking his heart, and he came to church occasionally with Gala, but he came, and this girl was uh, breaking his heart, and he was loosely tied to the church with a drummer for little, little oaky bars and played music and come once in a while with Gala. But I never forget the day he came, and we were talking, and he was talking about this girl. I'm concerned. I want her back and whatever. And I said, you know what? Lyle, you're acting as much like your daughter with the Lord as she's acting towards you. God wants you, Lyle. God wants you. You may never change the girl, but could God get you? And God got him. He's been here ever since, ever since. Played in our worship team for years. God turned a brokenhearted dad's heart towards home. Crises had a divine effect. God was tracking him down with his own girl. God uses sorrow to get you to come to the only one that can wipe your tears and restore and build your heart. Crises fade. Where are you going to run? When crises hit your home, your health, your finances, my daughter gave me the line that I had never heard before, and I've used it ever since. I'll never forget it when she told me, I didn't know that Jesus was all that I needed until he was all I had. If she felt stripped, felt removed from God, family, friends, but in her sorrow and in her pain, God made her say, all you've really got is me. You ought not run from me. To whom can we go, Lord? Only you have the words of eternal life. Well, in his crisis, he said, I don't know this man, but I'm going to make a 20-mile trip, a day's trip. i got to get to the only one that can take the case Nobody so far has done it. So he beseeches Christ. And in the Greek, he just keeps repeating the request. I don't care about what the Galileans think of you. I know they design de demands, miracles, and signs. I am just telling you I got a boy about to die, and you're the only one that can fix it. And Christ says to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. That's it. Come on. Joe Merrill, I want to see it. He didn't even get to see it. Because he didn't know he was talking to someone who has authority over disease, death, and distance. He doesn't have to be in the room to perform the deed. Matter of fact, he's sitting on a throne right now, and he can meet you here today. He can step right down. 
He's high, but he's not so high that he can't stoop low, low to where you are. He came down. David said, he stooped to make me great. I am moved by those words. Our God stoops. He can just say the word, and it's done. And the man, just as soon as he heard it, all he said, Jesus said, your son is going to be okay. That's good enough for me. I believe it. That's called convinced or confident faith. Uh, there's a real danger in sensuous faith that I won't believe unless I see it. I thought faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things you can't even see. Isn't it interesting that John the Baptist never performed one miracle and he was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament? Elisha did 14 miracles. Elijah did seven. But here John the Baptist, Jesus said, the greatest prophet that ever lived never did one miracle. Well, he must not have the Holy Ghost. He must not have the power. What's wrong with him? But John said in John 7, but everything he said about this man Christ was true. You know what's wrong with most of you? You don't believe the word of God's enough. You seek a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you, but your Bibles aren't worn out. You're not, you don't have any verses stained with your tears where you're saying, I'm counting on you doing what you said. I'm taking you at your word. He said your boy will live. The man believed the word Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way, and he didn't even get home till the next day because he had this majestic leisure of knowing if God said it, it's done. He didn't go home a nervous wreck wondering, did he? Didn't he? He said it. We've got more dynamite, more power, more promises. Did any of you, a lot of you look so young and frisky, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Did any of you ever see a promise box? Who grew up with promise boxes? Man, you're a remnant in this church. Man, these folks were on the ark. I mean, this is a few. Just everybody kind of dim. Well, I... My sister, for sure, she had a promise box. And promise boxes were simply scriptures in a little box, and you'd pull a promise each day out of there, or you can pull it for a promise for the week, however, and, and you would just pull that out, and that was your promise you'd cling to for the week. Because uh, you were living on promises and not dying on problems. Living on promises and not dying on problems. Some saints, every time I get with them, all I hear is their problems. I never hear any promises. I don't hear a promise. If you, your God already died. He can't keep his word. Well, you know, this was written over 1,900 years ago. 
Did you know in Hebrews he said the word of God is alive and powerful? And it's in the Greek, it's a present tense. It is living today, he saith unto. The word is as live as God. God, if God says it, heaven and earth could pass away. It won't. My dad had a great problem as a Pentecostal deacon. He couldn't get tongues. He kept trying, but he never did get through. And guys in those kinds of churches, if they didn't have tongues, sometimes you couldn't be a deacon. They'd still accept your offering, but you couldn't be deacon and, and, and things like that. And you wanted, what's wrong? Is there sin in my life? And uh, in his frustration, he went to one of our uh, African-American brothers that he loved in Berkeley, old Brother Brown. And they went to him, and he said, I don't know, I've sought. I, I've given up. I've held on. I've tried. I just can't get it. And old Brother Brown in wisdom just gave him the comforting word that freed him. He said, Brother Howard, God has given you his word. It's enough. man called me up one time. He wanted me to prophesy over him. He's going in for dangerous surgery. And I, I did. And I just started quoting scripture to him. He began to weep on the other end. You shall go through the waters, but they shall not drown you. You shall go through the fires, but they will not burn you. For yea, I am with you even unto the end. How can he whom I've justified, how can I accuse? How can a God that's for you ever be against you? I started quoting Romans 8. I started quoting Isaiah. Friend, you can't get a better word than the word I quoted. And I didn't invent it. The word, see what us conservative folks do, you may, there's a word out there. When are you going to say it's a word for me? God's talking to me. See, I, I could get logs. I'm trying to wake up the last row. But let me tell you, this Bible, this Bible is God talking. He that's got an ear to hear, let him hear what God's saying. God is talking to his people. Can you hear what he's saying? I heard McGee after he'd been preaching 55 years. 55 years. McGee, what's kept you going? He said, well, he said, I graduated from Columbia University in the Depression. And he said, I was the most depressed graduate that day because I'd heard Lewis Chafer and I wanted to go to Dallas. But the 1930s and I had no money and my dad had been killed in a cotton gin accident and my widowed mama was raising me. We had no money. I worked at a bank as a teller. No money. I wanted to go to seminary, and I had no money. But he said, on my graduation day, my three Presbyterian Sunday school teachers from when I was a young boy attended my graduation. Two women and one man. And they all taught McGee as a boy. And they all came, and they came up to him, congratulated him, says, Vernon, come by the house, and we're going to have a little cake and coffee and celebrate that our Sunday school boy graduated, got his bachelor's degree. 
So he said he goes by, cake, coffee, and all of a sudden his Sunday school teacher, the gentleman, said, Vernon, if you don't mind, we'd like to have a little devotion here. And he opened to a verse that goes like this. I can quote it, but it's better than you think I'm getting it right out of this book. I have no use to you guys that don't give me the book when you're up here. Point on the verse. Let's get people over the fact us guys aren't the word. This is the word. I preach a word outside of me. If you've got any problem with my sermon, just come and show me if it's in the word or not. If it's not in the word, I'll repent, but I'll be mad at you. But if you can show me it's not in the Word, I'll be glad to just say I'm wrong. But if it's in this book, don't you dare mess with me. Because God slay you. I don't know when, but don't mess with anybody that handles His Word. Got all kinds of folks who are not afraid of pre- hurting preachers, talking about preachers, having them for lunch, eating them like dinner, and wonder why their kids don't want to go to church. They're always looking for the right church, and they ruin every one they go to. You've got to have people raised on this book. This book. And this book will make you love everybody, even guys that preach. Listen to what the Sunday school teacher read. It goes like this. Hold on now. This is a word from God. Now listen. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will fail to complete it. Oh, okay, now that's where you should yell. Just say, boo, yeah, just yell me out of the place. That he who began a good work in you might complete it, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Will he or will he not? McGee said then, after the old gentleman gave the devotion, said, Vernon, we watched you as a boy. We watched you come to Christ in our Sunday school class. And we heard you wanted to go to seminary. And about 1933, they gave him an envelope with enough money to pay his first semester's tuition. And he said, I have said to myself, if God can pick up an old boy from Texas in 1933 and pay his tuition and give me a promise, I've got his signature with that verse in my Bible. I staked everything on Philippians 1. You began with me. I'm trusting you're going to complete it. God has begun a good work in you. Won't you believe it? God's going to complete what he started. My life's verse, when I'm wrestling with whether I, I didn't want to get too tied up with the ministry because I thought I could lose it any day. And so I took what my dad instilled in me. Now unto him that is able to keep you. Whoa, wait, wait. Is he or isn't he? He is able to keep you from falling 
and to present you faultless before the throne of his grace with exceeding joy and gladness to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, dominion, and power both now and forever, Jude 24, 25. Now let me tell you, I staked my life on that. And when I had to answer, man, why do you teach eternal security? I said, because I can't keep myself, and if God doesn't promise to keep me, I'm going to bail out. There's too many temptations, too many problems. I'm not strong enough, but if I've got his word for it, that he will keep me, I'm going to rest my eternal destiny on his word. I got saved at 14. I'm going to be 68. I'll tell you this much. I'm not there yet, but he's kept me this far. He's kept his word. You need to claim some word. You need to wear out your Bible, and you need to soak some verses. I'm praying for my boy. I've got a girl in crisis. My marriage is in trouble. Why don't you get on your knees with the Bible and say, Lord, you've got to talk to me. You gotta give me a promise. You got just speak the word to my heart. Your boy shall live. He believed it. That's all. Now he makes the trip back the next day, 20 miles. He gets in about seven o'clock at night. When he asked Jesus to heal the boy, it was around 7 p.m. A long journey in those days, 20 miles. Could you imagine any of us saying, I'll meet you tomorrow, and you had to walk there? I want to say, I'll see you next week. When I traveled, my wife, it cost me $100 every 100 miles just for food. Because she didn't think you could travel without a milkshake. So it would take us a long time. A long time. But there's no milkshake stand. So he's getting over there, gets in about on his way to the town. As he's in the outskirts of Capernaum, the servants saw him coming, and they started running to him. Said, your boy is alive. Your boy is alive. And I can imagine saying, well, I knew that yesterday. You see, you guys didn't hear God's word. I did. He told me. And so he gets there and says, what time did he get well? He said, well, around 7 p.m. And this man's sharp. He said, that's the same time the Savior gave me his word, your boy shall live. His faith was confirmed when he walked through the door. And I want to say to you parents, don't quit coming to Jesus for your children. Their destiny is resting more on you than they realize. I don't care if they're young, adult. You know, children keep you praying forever. When do you graduate from taking care of your kids in your heart? You know, Caroline prayed, God, save our girls, save our girls. Well, then they get out and have 10 children. God, I'm tired of praying for loved ones. Those 10 grandchildren, just let them be lost. I'm wore out praying. No, 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 no. You start all over. The next generation. And then I got this great-grandson at the house carving his initials and everything in the house. You know, pray for me. I wasn't meant to raise great-grandchildren. Uh, NyQuil looks good. That boy is so wired up. 
Yeah, anything. Pray and give them NyQuil. Uh, well, 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 Lord, I, I don't want to pray for these grandchildren. Oh, what do you mean? As long as one. And then nieces, nephews. Uh, isn't it terrible that God has left it up to you and I to get to Jesus for our loved ones? When does it end? It doesn't. Don't be weary in well-doing. Pray or you will lose heart. Luke 18, 1. And so his faith is confirmed when he walks in there and sees the boy and everybody is uh, jumping and shouting, no doubt. And uh, then something remarkable is said here that uh, back in John 4, that he comes there and he finds out what time the boy was healed. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live and he himself believed in all his household. Well, what do you, what's this? You mean just now he believes in Christ? Just now. He believed back here that Jesus made his boy well. He just believed for the, if you said you can do it, I believe that. But he hadn't put faith in Christ as a person, like the doctor. If you say you can get him well, I believe you can. You gave me your word, I believe it, Done. But it had never moved to personal trust, reliance, and embracing of the Savior. And right here, the man and his whole household, however many that was, all come to the gift of eternal life at this point. Who would have ever thought that the crises of a boy nearly ready to die would be the catalyst of a whole family coming to Christ. Trouble paved the way for the gift of eternal life. Some of you might be in trouble today. Maybe your family's in trouble. Maybe your marriage. Uh, maybe you got some grandchildren out there breaking your heart. You never know. Who are you going to? What you going to trust? Who are you relying on? I think of Precious Fox family, five sons. They have trusted God for all these years. I've known Ruth and Nelson, I'd say 35 years. Keeps praying. These boys will put faith in Christ. And I would literally dance around this church if I heard of one two, three, four, them coming. For they've waited, they've loved God, they've loved his work, they've taught, they've given. Oh, Lord, could you not save a boy? Could you not save a girl? I think of a Susie loves God, raised two handsome boys in our church as little guys. Gone away from God, not in the household of faith. Mom keeps going. God got a hold of mom before all their troubles. But sometimes the pain drives us to Christ. And I want to say this today. If you're in pain, I know someone who will welcome you like no other. He's called Jesus. He won't turn you away. 
He won't berate you about how you raised him, about your faults, about your failures, or whether you've been a perfect parent. He will say, no one understands like Jesus. I asked my dad, how did you manage to see us all saved? He said, son, I clothed you, fed you, spanked you, and God did the rest. I was glad he was wearing out by the time he got to me. <laughs> he would take no credit. I told God, if you'll save and bring my girl back, I'll never go on the circuit teaching family life with an arrogant attitude. I quit doing Mother's Day sermons about mothers because many mothers told me it was the most painful day of the year for them. And we'd get up and preach what the perfect woman looks like, and they'd be here weeping over prodigal children. We ought to be sensitive as Father's Day comes, Mother's Day's past. Many here have children in crises. Where do you send them? But I want to ask you this much. Has your coming to Christ made you contagious enough that your kids are catching the disease? Because you see, knowing Christ can either inoculate them from the real thing or infect them. We want to infect our loved ones with the wonder that's found in Christ. Let me say to all you young parents, it's not over. Don't stop praying now. And don't tell us your kids are just nearly perfect. We've seen them. We know how they act. They need Christ. You better be praying. You better be trusting. I don't care how nice and sweet. They need a Savior. The only thing you brought home from the hospital was a sinner in need of a Savior. You got to pray. You got to get them to Jesus. Get them to Jesus. Get Jesus on the case. We're desperate to get an appointment. But he's given his word. If you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And that's what we're praying. We need family revival in this church. You know what? We, it's time we all start inviting people to come and start busting the doors. It's time we just pack this place out. We'll, we'll install the shuttle. We'll find a way to make parking. We need to go after your kids your nieces, your nephews, they're lost, they're lost, they're lost, and let us not sleep in the light while they perish in the darkness. Let us wake up, for the time is coming when we can no longer work, only now. Don't give up praying, Mom. Don't give up praying, Dad. Jesus can make your boy alive. He's the only cure. Our Father... We are desperately in need of what only Jesus can do for our families, for our own lives. It seems like being alive in this world is to live with one crisis after another, whether it's health, finance, broken relationships, sin, misunderstanding, Sorrow, sadness, pain, rejection, alienation, physical death. We live in a world full of pain, Lord. 
We come to you for healing. We come to you. Save more than us. Save those around us. Make us contagious. Make us contagious. Help dads and moms to turn off the TV and have family prayer and a Bible verse. Turn off the phones. Turn off the computers. God's trying to get somebody to listen to him. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. And help the Christian out there that's cooled off, that's straying in their heart, that have become bored with God and have lost all seeking and panting for you. Deliver us from our backsliding. Deliver us from our waywardness. Oh, shepherd, get our eyes on you. Get our eyes on you lest we lest we go over the cliff. Save us in the present tense for falling in love with worldly lust and pleasures and the things that tame men's hearts. May Christ be our delight. May he be our defense. May he be our final word on any situation. Your word is enough. Give us your word. Give us your word and let us cling to it, believe it, Trust it and base our life on it. We don't have anything for certain in this world but your word. We're counting on you. We're counting on you. We're counting on you.